Welcome to Kidney Essentials, a podcast for medical students, residents, and advanced practitioners at the University of Colorado and beyond. Today, we are doing a mini bonus podcast to clarify some teaching points that we made on our very first podcast. Let's start with some introductions. Judy? So my name is Judy Blaine. I'm an associate professor in the renal division at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. My areas of interest are GNs, or glomerular disease, and prototype biology. I have no conflicts of interest, and my Twitter handle is at JudyBlaine2. Sophie. Hi, I'm Sophia Ambruso. I'm an assistant professor at the Denver VA, and I'm on faculty at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. My interests are medical education, and I like to dabble in clinical AKI research. I have no conflicts of interest, and my Twitter handle is at Sophia Kidney. And I am Sarah Young. I am at the University of Colorado. I practice um, out of our Anschutz Medical Campus. My areas of interest are critical care nephrology and lupus nephritis. I have no conflicts of interest, and I have a brand new Twitter handle, which is at Kidney Critic. A few housekeeping notes before we get started. Let's start with our mission statement, Sophie. Okay, so everybody, we are here to make nephrology more accessible and less intimidating. We want to provide concise nephrology pearls in each episode to help listeners understand renal pathophysiology, and we're here to make nephrology sexy one episode (laughs) at a time. And for our legal disclaimer, Judy... (laughs) So this is the fun legal stuff. So this podcast is for educational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts. And this podcast should not be used as medical advice or for treatment purposes. Okay, so as I mentioned at our introduction, um, on our very first podcast, we had an oversight, which fortunately was noticed by the esteemed Dr. Tom Burrell who knows a little bit about salt and water. For those of you who don't remember, it was a podcast where we um, described uh, a fellow of ours who had primary polydipsia and drank on the order of 20 liters of water a day. And while we made um, a mistake, we are now going to try to clarify that mistake. Yeah, just a disclaimer here, guys. This may not, uh, this might be our first mistake, but probably not our last. So um, hang in there with us. We're trying our best. So, And also, please contact us if you find a mistake, because uh, it's really helpful for us, and it will help to improve the podcasts. So what, what happened was, in an attempt to simplify the case for teaching purposes, we made up some values for our hyponatremic fellow, Matt, who had drunk had too much water to drink. And the values in retrospect, unfortunately, defied the laws of chemistry. (laughs) Now, my explanation of this is going to test our ability um, to meet our mission of making nephrology more accessible and less intimidating. The mistake was not caught by a lot of nephrologists, um, but it is an obvious mistake, and we felt that it was important to, to clarify it and bring it up. Yeah, this might limit our ability to make it sexy, too, but just keep in mind, it's all supposed to be sexy, gang. (laughs) 
So this is the mistake we made. When we gave values for Matt's urine osm, we said that it was 75 millimeters per mercury. And his <laughs> urine sodium... Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the mistake we made. Matt's urine osm was 75 milliosms per kilogram. And his urine sodium was 100 milliequivalents per liter. There are several ways in which you could have heard those numbers and realized that we were full of The first way is that we explained during the podcast that osmolality in the serum is a measure of the total number of particles in solution. So in serum, your osmolality is two times your plasma sodium plus your glucose divided by 18 plus your BUN divided by 2.8. Well, the same hold true holds true for the urine osmolality, which is also a measure of the number of particles in solution in the urine. Like plasma, sodium is a major particle in the urine contributing to the osmolality. So you cannot have an osmolality lower than your urine sodium. So in our case, we gave Matt urine osm of 75 and a urine sodium of 100 milliequivalents per liter. And this is just defies the laws of chemistry. You can never have an osmolality lower than your concentration of sodium. Yeah, so in our case, um, what we did is we took into account all the other solutes excreted. Uh, that includes urea, sodium, and potassium. And I do want to add that urine potassium is much, much higher in concentration in the urine compared to the small, 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 small concentration in the serum. Um, so we would expect a urine osmolality closer to 300 milliosms per kilo. Um, so just to recall that the distribution of intracellular potassium is very different than that of extracellular potassium. So there is much more potassium inside of cells than outside of cells. And the uh, serum concentration of potassium is only 3.5 to 4.5 milliequivalents per liter. And the kidney is very um, important in regulating the serum potassium levels and uh, renal excretion of potassium is very, very important for this regulation. And so the kidney usually excretes quite a bit of potassium into the urine to maintain serum potassium in a normal range. And this is something that I conceptually think about a lot and I just want to give this idea to other people to think about it this way. But when I think about the intracellular concentration of potassium, it would be the intracellular equivalent of 150 milliequivalents of potassium compared to the 3.5 milliequivalents that's in the serum. So that's the big discrepancy in where we are putting our potassium. Yeah, I almost feel like in the cells, it's almost like infinite amounts of potassium and then in the blood it's just very small strongly controlled minuscule levels and so judy why is it important to maintain such a minuscule and narrow range of potassium in the serum Um, because the electrical potential across your cells is maintained by having the exactly correct ratio of intracellular to extracellular potassium and this is really important especially for your cardiac myocytes And if this balance is disrupted or not kept in that narrow range, uh, that leads to cardiac arrhythmias that can be fatal. The second way that you could have realized that we had made a mistake is is when we told you that Matt's urine sodium was 100 milliequivalents per liter, 
And we also told you that he was drinking 20 liters of water a day and hence producing 20 liters of urine a day. That if he had 100 milliequivalents per liter of sodium and he was producing 20 liters of urine in a day, that would have been him excreting 2,000 milliequivalents of sodium in a 24-hour period. So you guys, I just want to emphasize like the extreme amount of salt this is to intake in a day. So I would say, whoa, this is tons and tons, 200, or excuse me, 2,000 milliequivalents of sodium in your urine would be like eating 46 grams of salt in a day. Um, a, normal, a normal American diet is between 8 to 15 grams a day, and that's like being really liberal. Wow. 46 grams of salt a day is a ton. I don't even think Americans could do that, unless maybe you're in some sort of massive hot dog eating contest. <laughs> okay. So just to review one more time, the way you could have realized we had also made a mistake is if you had taken the urinary sodium that we had given you of 100 milliequivalents per liter and multiplied it by the amount of liters of urine we told you Matt was making, you would have seen that that resulted in an excretion of sodium that was astronomical and unlikely to have been happening. Okay, the third way you could have figured out our mistake was below. If you know a normal 24-hour urine sodium excretion is about 200 milliequivalents and the urine output was 20 liters, that 200 milliequivalents of sodium would have been divided in all of those 20 liters of urine and so that would have given you a urinary sodium of 10 milliequivalents per liter. So this is the final and the most important point um, because patients with primary polydipsia, so patients who are just drinking a ton of fluid, will have a low spot urine sodium because the urine sodium is measured as a concentration term. So it's the amount of sodium over the volume of urine that it's coming out in, um, which if you um, are polydipsic is a lot of urine. And so your spot urine sodium will be low, not because you're not taking in enough sodium, but just because the amount of urine that you're excreting is so large. I do, you know, this is funny because like, this is a topic that we try and pound into our fellow's head time and time again. And the fact that we sort of glossed over this in our, in our podcast is kind of <laughs> hilarious. Um, we so pounded guys, it right out of our own brains <laughs> into the fellow's brains. So you guys, we're all human and this is a difficult t concept to understand. And there's a lot of interacting things, but I think that's an important thing to understand and and remember, I think this is my turn to summarize, isn't it, gang? Yeah, Sophie, why don't you go yeah. ahead and summarize <laughs> go ahead. Points. Um, So if we're going to summarize here, uh, number one, gang, you cannot have a urine osmolality that's lower than your urine sodium. Um, your normal 24-hour urine sodium excretion on a regular diet is going to be between 100 and 300 milliequivalents per day. And your urine sodium in primary polydipsia is low because of the denominator. So the volume in your urine is so great that it will appear like the urine sodium is low. But if you were to add it up over a 24-hour period, it would actually be higher. Now, we know this um, bonus podcast was a little weedy, and we are trying to make these topics simpler um, for all of you. If you catch a mistake that we've made, please DM us if you have any questions. Um, 
about anything that we've said or explained. Lastly, before we go, we had some questions from listeners about some terms that we used. One of the terms we also used in our first podcast was the term free water. When we use the term free water, um, we are referring to electrolyte free water. So IV electrolyte free water would be D5W or dextrose 5% water or enteral water administration. Um, So if you are writing for a fluid restriction, um, you should write it just as a fluid restriction and not as a free water restriction. Because if you write a free water restriction, it means that the nurses or whoever is caring for them can let them drink anything that they want that is not plain water. Um, So just remember that when you're writing for a fluid restriction. Okay, well that wraps up our little bonus podcast titled Bloopers. Thanks for listening to Kidney Essentials, and we will try not to defy the laws of chemistry again, but I can't promise (laughs) that we won't. But by all means, keep us honest and let us know if we made a mistake. Join us for our next podcast, which we will be um, recording in August, where we will review common urine studies and what they mean. Woo woo! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone for listening, and goodbye. Uh, Bye, and thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next, or no, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, um, some quick credits for our program, for our podcast. Uh, Seamus Klingsborn for editing, Josh Strong for graphics, and and of course, the University of Colorado Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension for giving Judy and I our jobs, and the VA for Sophie.